Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Dispatches from the Front. This is episode number 21. And Tom, you and I are back to uh, our Star Wars episodes. Back to my warm, comfy blanket. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is true. We are covering Attack of the Clones, uh, which was 2002. So we're excited to get back into this. Uh, and like we've said before, we're, we're kind of doing a Star Wars film and then a non-Star Wars film, like a more traditional war film, uh, and then back again. So we're going to do this, this uh, alternating them. And of course, with currently there being nine Star Wars films uh, doing that, it's going to take us like a year and a half to actually get through the Star Wars films. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's OK. That's OK. We got great feedback on... Uh, the first one that we did with Phantom Menace. Good. That makes me very happy that that folks enjoy and, and listen to it. And it's been what was really apparent to me, especially after the first time I presented on this in 2017 when you and I met, was the interest level in this sort of thing. And like I guess stepping back, it makes sense because it's Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so – this sort of thing and and this analysis is like at the at the heart of it but i before that i had been to what two other celebrations 2015 2010 they didn't have anything like that there was not really any discussion about that sort of stuff so sure um it was good to see then and in 2019 that the sort of interest level amongst folks at celebration and i'm glad that people are enjoying this hopefully we won't fumble the ball completely with <laughs> yeah I, I i don't think we will i don't think we will i, I think we'll we'll do okay here uh how is this see. movie 18 years old by the way oh i know it i know it yeah it's it's uh it, it's kind of crazy it's kind of crazy like that's, just saying that is like that makes me feel like that scene at the end of saving private ryan when he private ryan turns back into the old man <laughs> standing in the cemetery yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like this this crazy time jump. Yeah, I I have a really interesting love hate relationship with this movie. I love the the overall story of this film, and I love where it gets us. And you know the 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 big battle in the end between the clones and, and the Geonosians. I, I I always thought was really cool, and it's great that we see all these you know new military armaments that suddenly the clones have. Don't know where they got them. Um, that's a big mystery. We're going to talk about that. And, and, you know, and of course we see all the Jedi fighting in the arena. And so like, this is the first time that we see ever this massive collection of Jedi in in one location. And, you know, that's really cool. Uh, there's a lot of really, really neat elements to this. Um, but there's also a lot of things about this that can get a little grating. Uh, there's a lot of, they really spend a lot of time developing the romance between Anakin and Padme. And, and obviously we're not going to be talking about that here because that's, that's not our our focus on dispatches. And the thing is, I understand why they do it because obviously they really need to establish that foundation, uh, the relationship, almost that obsession that Anakin has with Padme, because that's a big piece of him turning to the dark side in, in the next movie. Um, spoiler, by the way, if, if you didn't know that. Um, so it, it's understandable, but like so much of the stuff is really, really like cheesy uh, in, in terms of, of, of 
their relationship and their picnicking and all that kind of stuff. And, and um, I, I think that distracts a, a, a lot from part of the, of the movie here. The other side is the insane amount of computer generated effects that are in this movie and amazingly so for a star wars movie there's so much of it that they seem to get wrong i i don't know i I, like the effects in the phantom menace to me seem far superior than the effects in attack of the clones and attack of the clones is three years later and it's Lucasfilm and very rarely do we ever complain about any effects that come out of Lucasfilm and industrial light and magic. But there's just, there's a lot of things to complain about when it comes to the special effects in this movie. Yeah. The, there are certain parts that don't hold up quite as well. And that I, most of the majority of this movie is, is still like, jaw-dropping to me that they were able to accomplish all of this in in 2002 i think lucas was clearly just as he did in phantom menace testing the limits of what was possible and and almost had this fixation on on stretching the legs as much as possible of of all those uh computer systems and and the technology that they were building from the ground up to to make these things but i think what gets lost in it and what's thankfully been recaptured is uh, the magic and the the uh, the impact that real stuff has, and I saw the the comparison that I'll draw. I saw a really interesting, short, like two to three minute video talking about the matte painting that was used extensively in the original trilogy uh, as backdrops. And the scene that they were talking about was <clears throat> the the Emperor's arrival on the Death Star in return of the Jedi. And I had no clue that the majority of that scene was a matte painting. I mean, like yeah. almost virtually all of the, the troops that you see, um, I think the, the emperor's shuttle and certainly the entire background of the death star all painted, all painted on glass. And when they take the movie away, the actual stuff that was in there, the physical stuff that was in the scene, uh, it's a, it's not a great painting. I mean, it, it's it's great in the sense it's it's draw dropping and it's historic, but there's not like a lot of fine detail. I mean, this is not a, a Mona Lisa level uh, masterpiece, but it's done and in, in specific techniques are used to capture the way the eye sees the world. Mm-hmm. And the difference in the point that the uh, this video made was that even though you have a lot of detail and when you look closely, like the stormtroopers along the back row or, or no more than just like a swipe of white and maybe a little bit of uh, like a touch of black. I mean, it's, they're almost formless, but you don't notice that when you stare at the, the screen, because that's not how your eye and your brain processes things. Well, when you flash forward to a movie like attack of the clones and you use computer engineering that can literally capture every single detail what looks beautiful in a sense just mismatches with what the eye and how the brain processes things. And so you get – there's almost this like – this sheen over everything. That's the best way I can describe uh, how I watch parts of the movie, especially when they, they go down to the Outlander Club at the beginning and they're like on this chase after Zam Wessel. You know, that's an area of Coruscant that should probably be a little grimy, but it just feels – 
clean and new. Yeah. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with just the effects. And it's not like the lack of computing power. It's it's just, you know, how those effects are generating certain things and, and you know, how the brain is is processing that stuff. So that's how I feel. It, it gets better toward the end. Certainly the battle on Geonosis is still phenomenal to me. But for the first part of the movie, that's the best way I can describe it. It's like this new film, like almost like you buy – like a new TV or a computer and it's got that plastic sheen over it that like, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. There's, there's a lot of that, that, uh, you know, understanding that a lot of stuff in the prequels isn't so, uh, weathered and battered as we, we have in the, the original trilogy. Um, there's, there's still a lot here that seems kind of shiny and new when it, when it really shouldn't be. So uh, let's see, covering some of the basics here, uh, of course, is directed by George Lucas, also written by George Lucas, along with uh, Jonathan Hales, who uh, is, I guess, otherwise best known for writing um, most, if not all, the episodes of Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. And, and it's, it's interesting show. because, yeah, and it, there's a really fun show. And I think there's actually kind of some elements of that that you can see through this. And I didn't realize until putting together the the show notes for this, that that's what uh, Hales had done in, in the past fairly prominently. And then as soon as I read it, I'm like, Oh yeah, I can totally pick up some of that vibe in here um, with kind of the, the ebb and flow of how he writes things and how that adventure lays itself out. So yeah, it's, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, the entire scene from the like the start of the quote-unquote investigation with Padme and Mm -hmm. and the assassination attempt through the chase I mean you could switch out the characters in the world that could be right out of a uh, young Indiana Jones show oh absolutely uh let's see so Tom um I apologize for the dog barking I don't know what she's flipping out over. She probably sees a squirrel she, or something. She has a lot of thoughts about Attack of the Clones. She wants to share. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, Tom, take us through the the summary of of Attack of the Clones. If you yeah, could. So we start out. The, the challenge here is always to like condense it to to your beautiful, concise summaries. Before, uh, not that any Star Wars movie needs summarizing, but if you haven't watched Attack of the Clones in a while. Uh, it starts out and the, the galaxy is in a state of unrest. Uh, there are a lot of systems that have declared their intention to leave the Republic. So there's this secession crisis, almost like the, the brink of a, a major civil war. Uh, Padme is rushing back to Nab- or to Coruscant to, to vote on the potential creation of a grand army of the Republic. And uh, movie starts out. She's uh, nearly assassinated on a landing pad in Coruscant. Uh, the Jedi get involved. Uh, Obi-Wan, at the behest of Chancellor Palpatine, is assigned to protect her alongside Anakin. And uh, their adventure continues as Obi-Wan delves into this unfolding mystery of Jango Fett, uh, who he finds out is uh, the probable assassin uh, for Padme. Uh, he eventually tracks him to a planet called Geonosis, where he discovers a massive clone army that has apparently been ordered uh, by the Republic, and, and ultimately the order was placed uh, by a Jedi. And meanwhile, uh, 
Anakin sort of has this infatuation that that grows and grows with Padme. He escorts her to uh, to Naboo, and uh, their their love sort of uh, blossoms. Uh, eventually, they're aware that uh, Obi Wan has has fled to Geonosis uh, in in pursuit of this mystery, and they decide to go uh, attempt to to rescue him after a, sort of a side trip to Tatooine to hmm. kill some uh, sand people. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, things sort of culminate on Geonosis. There's a, uh, a massive uh, showdown. You have the, the former Jedi Master, uh, Count Dooku, who uh, reveals to Obi-Wan that he's working with a uh, – or that there's a Sith behind the scenes trying to take over the Republic. Uh, there's a, a big arena battle, and eventually the Grand Army of the Republic – uh, comes charging into battle with the Jedi leading them. There's an epic fight, and the the Clone Wars start uh, as uh, with that first battle on Geonosis, and the movie ends with uh, the the uh, the Republic's brand new arm uh, army with that shiny wrapping on it, uh, marching off to war across the galaxy. And and Yoda's famous war words uh, begun: "The Clone Wars have." Yeah, and, and I got to say, like that's a really cool shot. I, when the the camera just pulls back and you see legions upon legions of of these brand new clone troopers uh all loading up into uh republic cruisers and and you know taking off for wherever their destinations happen to be in the galaxy it's a it's it's a pretty cool shot yeah um, and you get the uh the imperial march a version of it playing in the yeah. in the background uh it yeah, it's a great scene Palpatine looking over it all. Yep. Looking over everything that he's orchestrated. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of our cast members haven't changed um, going from episode one, to episode two. We, we again have Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, Natalie Portman as uh, well, actually now Senator Amidala uh, or, or Padme Amidala. Uh, Hayden Christensen, since Anakin got older, they did a, a bit of a time jump here. Uh, so Hayden Christensen is, is now playing Anakin. Uh, Ian McDiarmid still as Palpatine. Christopher Lee uh, enters as Count Dooku. Anthony Daniels and Kenny Baker as 3PO and R2, respectively. Frank Oz voicing Yoda. Sam Jackson uh, continuing on as Mace Windu. Uh, Tamara Morrison comes in playing Jango Fett, who has a, a pretty significant role in, in this whole thing, uh, or at least his his DNA does. Um, he also voices every freaking clone trooper uh, that has a speaking role in the movie. So that's kind of a, a big thing. Um, uh, we have Daniel Logan uh, as a, a young pup of a Boba Fett, uh, an unaltered clone. Jimmy Smits uh, comes in. He was, um, he was real popular at the time for playing. It was some police procedural. What was it? NYPD Blue. Yes. Wasn't yeah, it? that's yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so he came over and played uh, Bail Organa, and uh, Ahmed Best continues his role as Jar Jar. So, really, I mean, you you laid out a lot of the state of of, of the galaxy um, over the the years that have transpired since Episode One. We've had a lot of unrest. We have essentially what's developing as a as a civil war. Uh, across the galaxy, and a lot of it has to do with corporations. 
um, started with the Trade Federation and it expanded from there. The Trade Federation signed on the banking clan and the techno union and all these other little fringe entities that we really don't discover much about until we get into the Clone Wars series uh, and then some of the books also that really kind of tell us what some of these different entities truly are and, and, and what they do. Uh, but nonetheless, this is, it's really a, a, a privately funded civil war and um, a lot of promises being made on both fronts that, you know, Hey, we can protect you better than the other side can and, and, and all that stuff. And again, we, we do in, in, in the clone war series, we see a lot of those intricacies um, actually play out in this. This movie itself opens up with a terrorist attack. And uh, so this terrorist attack is on Padme's ship. Uh, she's coming from um, Naboo to Coruscant as a senator. And uh, the big thing that they're going to be talking about is this uh, military creation act, because oddly enough, uh, this massive, you know, multi-system, multi-planetary government uh, doesn't have a standing military of its own. They've basically relied on security forces of the various systems to do things along with the Jedi as kind of this big umbrella, but they've never really had a formal military of their own. And they say that that peace has lasted, you know, generations, a thousand years. And that's fascinating that that you've had that sort of stability given all the craziness in the galaxy that that we know of from the films and books and comic mm-hmm. books that you can have that incredible period of, of relative peace. Uh, it, you know, at least peace in the sense of, you know, there's no massive widespread war. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it's calm enough that you can have that, that sort of decentralized military force. Uh, but that sort of speaks to the, like how rapidly things fall. And it, it's fascinating. I, there's a reason why these corporations are used, right? Because it would be a lot harder for Palpatine to manipulate the number of systems that he would need to manipulate to, to you know, gather and marshal the sort of forces needed to light off a civil war. It's a lot easier to manipulate a bunch of corporations and dangle incentives in front of them of the financial variety that incentivize them to, to uh, turn the screws on their respective systems. And it, it, it's sort of a unique thing. It, it would be like if um, you, you certainly have states in the U.S. that have large parts of their economy dependent on certain industries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a great example, like right now we're looking at, you know, a crisis with the meatpacking industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a state like Iowa – which is a an agrarian economy uh, largely uh you know there are certain parts of the state that are heavily dependent on on some of these meat processing plants the jobs that they provide the money they bring into the economy and it's it's fascinating to think like what if tyson chicken decided to like build a robot army and and go like would (laughs) iowa have much of a choice if if tyson said you know what we're seceding as a corporation from the united states and you guys better jump on board or you know you're 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 going to line up at the soup kitchen with everybody else and and yeah uh kiss all this goodness goodbye that you've had you know i don't it seems extreme but it's like perfect for star wars that sort of extremity um 
but yeah, that's so that's that's sort of an integral part of his plan. If you ever wonder why, like why this war starts with like the trade federation and tax routes and stuff like that, it's because it's the the simpler play for Palpatine. Oh, it absolutely is. Uh, he can certainly leverage them and, and manipulate them to do what it is that that he wants to do. And and of course, the the political statement, the the out of universe political statement that he's making there is is you know he's making a play on corporate greed and and, and that kind of stuff, which you know of course is 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 caricatured within the films uh, to 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 an extent, essentially. Um, it's it's just it's really interesting in this that that there is no standing military and they're relying so much on the Jedi and and I have to wonder how much back within the history of things in Star Wars that's going to go and I'm I'm looking forward to for folks who might not know we've we're going to be introduced uh, later this year to a a new era in Star Wars which goes back a, a few hundred years prior to episode 1 um which they're calling the High Republic and so we're we're getting a totally new set of characters and storylines and all that stuff with it knowing how it's not i guess we can't say how military organizations run because it's it's not but at least how military types of operations need to be conducted sure you can have your commanders and you can have your special forces, but you need foot soldiers essentially. And it's so odd that we don't see any kind of, of analog to foot soldiers for the Jedi. It's, it's like saying, okay, the U S is going to go to a model of um, we're going to have a thousand special forces. We're going to have a thousand deltas and that's it. We're shutting down the entire rest of, of our military we don't need occupation troops. We don't need troops that can do anything else. We're going to rely on these deltas who we're going to say can do everything. Um, but we don't need any forces behind them. And or, you know, we don't need people to do what we would kind of generalize as, as the mundane work, which is kind of the real backbone of the work of, of, a, of a military. Um, we're just going to have this group who's going to go in and they're going to do the hard hitting stuff. And that's that. Um it's it's a it's kind of a crazy analog to to bring that thought to real life that like that doesn't seem to be workable and i don't know that any military in the history of the world has ever been successful with that you know that you need numbers you know that you need this large number of of support people and and basically just infantry and the republic had that kind of for a while in a in a really decentralized role um for those that know grand moff tarkin's history uh before he joined the empire he was a member of this organization called the outland security mm. force oh yeah, and yeah. this was like yeah. a it was an extension of uh, they called them like the judicial forces basically so these were like peacekeepers for the republic they weren't jedi they they didn't have any special force powers mm-hmm. but these were like paramilitary organizations that were sort of scattered out regionally around the galaxy. Yep. And we haven't had a ton of stories on this. There's a, an Anakin and Obi-Wan comic that gets a little into it, but as the Jedi kind of gain in prominence, the, the necessity for these judicial forces sort of wane 
but at least is you know at the time where uh, the uh, we are here in, in Attack of the Clones, Tarkin is still a member of that organization. That's where he comes from to yeah. to, to switch I over. About that. So, yeah, yeah. So you do still have these organizations. And I think the idea is, uh, if the need arises, the Jedi can go and interface, and, and almost like the say the Green Berets do. They'll they'll mm-hmm. go go in with a partner force essentially, and uh, conduct a joint operation. And you know, I, I think part of the the reason that there aren't larger numbers of these folks around the galaxy is in in terms of non Jedi troops is that they haven't needed it. So you you get mm-hmm. this sort of like atrophy of readiness in a way uh and anybody that's listening to this that's in the army they probably just like had their skin burned when i talked about readiness but, <laughs> but you see that when you flash forward into the sequel trilogy as well uh, that that same sort of atrophy over a much shorter period of time i mean in in say 25 years since the between uh the fall of the empire and and sort of the gear up to the force awakens it's like the galaxy forgets the need for a military and you have this way scaled back new Republic military that can't really keep its finger on the galaxy. And, and it, you know, it leads to problems. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's a very interesting structure how, how they have it because it seems to make them very vulnerable. Um, and obviously it's like I said, I, I'm glad you remembered it because I completely forgot this, uh, this group that, that Tarkin was a part of. And like I said, there's, there's certainly, there are planetary defense forces, but they weren't really set up. I, I mean, even when we look at Naboo and we know that Naboo was generally a more peaceful society, I guess, uh, it kind of seemed that the majority of their military, I mean, their pilots were older. Um, they may have very well not been regulars. They may have been uh, something like our National Guard would be, where you know they have full time jobs other than something that's that's military. So, um, and of course, they didn't have a lot of armaments. There weren't a lot of ships, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, and you're going to have planets that are going to to vary with that here and there pretty much to be able to to take care of themselves with some smaller things and then with anything larger they would be making that call to the jedi to to intervene or uh, that's where i mean and, and i think that's where a lot of these planets that may be in a uh, say a planet that's along a, a popular trade route that may be a destination for pirates and and uh-huh. uh, folks that that uh, do no good that's where these corporations come into play. They they yes. have these great armies uh, of of droids and stuff like that. If you pay the right fee, we can just come in. There's no need to subject your citizens mm-hmm. to danger. Why not just hire the techno union? Uh, we can bring in our own soldiers. We'll provide you the safety and security that you need. So these, <clears throat> I think that's another reason why. Tom, a lot you of have systems- a career in marketing, by the way. <laughs> that's like, right. Star that- Wars. Star Wars in universe marketing. Yeah. Like that was solid. <laughs> Seriously. Like there just needed to be some nice music behind you. Uh right. yeah, like that was Roger, that was Roger. solid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, you you see how this all goes hand in glove cuz these uh a lot of these systems for years now have gotten uh, very very comfortable with the idea of of outsourcing uh, military fighting and and defense to uh, to these corporations. Naboo is probably an outlier 
you know, and there's an interesting sort of side piece in the uh, Handmaids or the the Padme book uh, by E.K. Johnston about how like after the Phantom Menace, there was this big fight internally on Naboo about whether to even arm the planet with like a, a planet wide EMP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that that caused great. You've got that on one end and, you know, a planet like Alderaan or something, these peaceful planets and then like Mandalore or some of these other uh, sort of more conflict postured planets or just planets that uh, have a necessity to, to um, you know, have military forces like that. And, you know, it's a lot easier to, to pay for forces to come in than to train and go through the logistics to, to stand up an army and maintain it. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. So fortunately, this terrorist attack on on Padme uh, was not successful, uh, or or only partially successful. Uh, successful, where where basically uh, uh, the senators, um, the the senators' uh, uh, security detail had suspected that something could happen, so they kind of did a little bait and switch with this and um, made sure that she was safe. Although one of her her Handmaids, uh, her, her bodyguards ended up uh, perishing in this. We then have this uh, this meeting between um, some of the Jedi leadership and um, uh, and Palpatine, and they're kind of talking about this particular state of of the galaxy and this potential need for everything that we've just been talking about for basically having a, a larger military force uh, because he says, Mace Windu says very specifically, the Jedi are peacekeepers, not soldiers. And so they recognize their own limitations in this. Um, we then say that this, this first act of this movie is really interesting because it bounces between a bunch of, of little things and spends small amounts of, of, of time on it. Um, we have uh, you had mentioned earlier Zam Wessel, who is this uh, assassin who is um, really clearly hired by Django, or at least Django is an intermediary in this uh, in this whole deal, and she is hired to make another assassination attempt on Padme. Um, it's not laid out at, in the film, at least, who made the primary attempt, whether that was. Django or it was Zam or it was some other third party clearly related to this. Is there anything else canonically uh, in books or otherwise, Tom, that says specifically who that was? I think it was Zam Wessel. Django tells her when he hands her those little uh, centipedes, the cohoons, uh, the, the little poisonous creatures, he tells her that there can't be any mistakes again. Mm, mm, uh, yeah. So I, I think he's, he's like, look, my client's getting impatient. You need to get this done or there's going to be hell to pay. Uh, so I think she was the one that she's a, a military, a, a terrorist subcontractor, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. But I, interestingly, so that the Jedi have it completely, Mace, talks about the Jedi's intel that this bombing was like some disgruntled miners from a moon of, of Naboo, mm. which would make mm-hmm. it sort of this regional dispute. Um, but there's this thought that there's something more sinister going on. And this is sort of the first big, this is like Palpatine. He's no longer playing with pawns anymore. He's moved like a knight into the game yeah. uh, or Bishop. Uh, this is the moment where he starts to seed fear amongst 
fellow senators that uh, their own lives could be at risk, their own comfortable lives on Coruscant, uh, very detached from any dirt or grime or violence. And I, I think that's a really important point to realize because they're uh, you know, assassinations don't happen, right? They're they're at least you know the U.S. isn't in the business of of assassinating folks. It's um, if you think back to what was that January? It feels like a hundred years ago, but January mm-hmm. of this year when General Soleimani, the Iraq or excuse mm. me, the Iranian general was killed. Mm-hmm. In Iraq, that's why that was such a big deal because effectively, you know, that's that's one nation assassinating a uh, a leader, if you know, military or otherwise, leader of another country. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing doesn't happen uh, when you're not at war with another country. Um, you know, maybe covertly, you have some stuff happen that that never makes the front pages, but um, uh, you know, an overt strike like that is something that clearly was designed to instill fear among senators. And yeah. if you know, if Padme had been killed on that landing pad, if Padme Amidala of all people can get killed from the planet of Naboo, who's next? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it it's important to realize she was one of the opposition, uh, the the loudest members of the opposition to the uh, Military Creation Act. So it's it's sort of twofold: a stamp out resistance to to the creation of the army because Palpatine needs a, a a fighting force for the Republic to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, b get senators scared so that when the time comes, they're going to be like, well, I, I would rather vote f- for the most secure option. Uh, why would I vote against an army when senators are getting blown up on, at the capital world? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have a lot of moving pieces in this. And, and just because you mentioned it, uh, <clears throat> the whole assassination of, of, of Suleimani is a fascinating case study. Um, there's actually a, and this came out a number of months ago. Um, there's an NPR podcast called Throughline, and they had a uh, phenomenal biography of Suleimani and talking about the assassination. And uh, really interesting. I mean, the guy has a heck of a had uh, a, a heck of a military background, obviously, and how he came up through the ranks. Um, some of it, you know, analogous to anyone else rising through the ranks in any other military. Um, part of it also a fairly brutal reflection of um, of, of Iran's history um, and, and and that region's history, and kind of the importance of his his assassination. And and and, and like you said, assassinations don't. I mean, that's not something that happens. I mean, we don't assassinate. Uh, the heads of, of other governments that, that is a thing that is like generally a really big no, no um, particularly when you're at war. And so for that to happen was a really, um, a really unique event. And it certainly could have sparked more. Uh, there, there could have been a, a very significant fallout from it. Um, and, and I think we're, we're fortunate that there wasn't, uh, not to say that the guy didn't deserve to get eliminated, because like I said, he does have a pretty brutal past. Uh, but yeah, a really interesting case study. Fascinating case study. Uh, so we we then have we we have some some interesting things happen here, where um, basically the 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 background of this in a nutshell is that Obi Wan and Anakin chase down Zam Wessel. 
they find her, they're questioning her, and then she is then killed from a distance. Uh, there's a, a, a poisonous dart of sorts that uh, ends up hitting her in the neck. It was shot by someone out in the distance uh, who pretty clearly was Django Fett. Of course, our, our heroes don't know that at the time. Uh, Obi-Wan takes this uh, this dart to a friend of his who says, oh, yeah, this is a Kamino and Saber dart. And uh, Kaminoans are cloners. And so where a lot of this, well, a lot, all of this really comes out to be relevant is that Obi-Wan now ends up looking into this and he's looking up to find out where Kamino is. And he's in the Jedi archives and there is no data at all on um, on Kamino. Um, in fact, the entire system, the, the sun is missing um, from this system along with all of its planets. And so there's a significant problem here, which essentially comes down to it's kind of a measure of like cyber warfare, um, uh, you know, intelligence espionage type of thing. It's it's very apparent. Um, well, I guess not to Obi-Wan. It took like a four year old to point it out to him that <laughs> someone very clearly like went into the Jedi archives um, and hit the delete button. And, and there it was. What's ironic is uh, when he asks Joe Costa knew the uh, the librarian there at the Jedi archives about this missing planet. I think he walks right by a bust of Dooku. I'm I'm virtually certain. Oh, that really? There's a bust oh, that's of funny. Dooku right there that he goes right by. And d- they had no reason to suspect uh, that uh, Dooku would have done that. I mean, the the sort of shock that obi-wan has is that only uh masters have access to the uh to the archive i mean this is think of it like the most secured system that the u.s has a computer system I, this is like their class their vault of the most classified information uh in the galaxy and it's restricted access you got to have your little jedi security clearance to get in there mm-hmm. and we know from the start of the movie when when there's a, a question about Count Dooku being behind the assassination plot, the Jedi aren't even looking at him. Uh, Mace has that comment about, oh, he he could never assassinate anyone. It's not in his nature. Yeah, he's a former Jedi. Um, you know, it, it, so the the wool is is already being pulled over the Jedi's collective eyes here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. You know, you've you've got sort of an insider threat happening here, which is something that that happens, unfortunately, with a fair bit of regularity. I mean, I, I don't think a, a year goes by that you don't see some, uh, you know, whether it's a national security uh, staffer, you know, somebody in that apparatus, or a member of the military getting busted for improperly accessing or handling classified information. Oh yeah, yeah, they're you know end up uh, being convicted of spying for China or uh, WikiLeaks or you know something like that. That yeah, this this happens, and and whether it's uh, an idealistic thing or it's a financial uh, motivation, you know who knows. Um, I mean, obviously it, it differs for a lot of people, but so we we have and 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 as we kind of end up particularly with the discussion between. Um, Dooku and Obi-Wan later in the second act is, is when we really kind of get a little bit of perspective on, on, on Dooku and also his, 
uh, his kinship with Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, which even gets further explored in, in a novel. And he really, it, it's interesting how Dooku tries to spin this, um, particularly where he tries to spin Qui-Gon's perspective on things to Obi-Wan, who was his, uh, his, his Padawan to basically convince Obi-Wan to, to come over to, to their side that, well, you know, Hey, Qui-Gon knew this. He knew that, you know, the, the, the Jedi have lost focus and they've lost their way and there's this corruption and we, you know, we need to bring order to the galaxy and all this stuff. And he's, and he just kind of keeps harping on the fact that, yeah, yeah, Qui-Gon knew this. Qui-Gon absolutely knew this. And why do you think he said this? And why do you think he didn't get on the council? And why do you think this and that? And, um, you know, of course we end up, we find out in, in, in the novel that, uh, um, Dooku was actually Qui-Gon's master, uh, for, for a period of time. So it's, it's it, some interesting relationships in there, which we see further play out, um, you know, years later with, with some other, uh, with the novel and, and that kind of thing. So we, um, all this, this, this research that Obi-Wan is doing does bring him to, um, to Camino and seems they were expecting him or someone from the Jedi, like at any moment, apparently to just show up at their door. <laughs> and he is introduced to uh, what will be the grand army of the Republic. These thousands upon thousands of clones uh, in various states of, of accelerated growth uh, everywhere from, you know, truly being in giant test tubes to uh, children who are learning to, you know, uh, uh, seemingly adult soldiers uh, parading around and drilling and, and, and that kind of thing. So this brings about an interesting thing, which, um, you know, in, in real life, yeah, we've, there's been discussion on clones. And of course we haven't had people cloned yet, but we've, we're using a lot of similar technology, um, to do different things, some very good things that are, you know, medically necessary for growing organs and, and that kind of stuff, which is saving lives. But fundamentally it's cloning technology. And uh, but for these clones, they are basically a, a, an army conscripted from birth. They don't know any different. They're not given the choice. Uh, they are immediately indoctrinated into this. I mean, again, we see them as as children uh, with headsets on in front of computers learning about, you know, presumably military tactics and uh, weaponry and, and, and other kinds of things. They're playing um, Fortnite. They might be playing <laughs> Fortnite, which is which is actually probably a good military drill. Um, so it's it's a really interesting thing, and so you have this massive army that's that's being developed in secret, and, and and there's further layers to that secret because it was supposed to be on behalf of the Jedi, but the Jedi know nothing about it. Um, but of course, again, this is all part of Palpatine's manipulation because he needed to have this force on force. Uh, type of action, which ultimately was growing his power um, and became his base for when, you know, he became emperor. So, um, yeah, I, I, what, what are your thoughts on on the, the clone army? I just love how, like, flabbergasted 
quiet or Obi-Wan is as he makes this discovery and he's doing his best to sort of keep it together and keep drawing information out of the out of Lamasu and the Kaminoans so that they don't clam up on him because the, this is one of the I mean we could do an entire you know episode just talking about the the backstory behind this uh this army but i mean uh, you're right obi-wan has to basically pretend that he knew all about this he's like oh yeah 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 yeah. syphodius yeah totally (laughs) 10 years ago yeah that makes sense (laughs) i'm definitely here as the emissary to to pick my army up (laughs) and do you have your claim ticket master uh master kenobi oh i He's like patting his robes. Like I think I left it in my other Jedi Starfighter. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, 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 that's truly it. It was like he was picking up some dry cleaning or a pizza or something. Uh, it's yeah. like, yeah, I'm here, and um, yeah, sure, I'll I'll, I'll take uh, two hundred thousand of my troops, please. Yeah, <laughs> but what's fascinating is a that the scale of the army that that was ordered. I mean, you know, clearly this the scale of this war was contemplated from the very start. I mean, you don't. Um, you don't produce 200,000 with a million more on the way uh, if you're thinking about like some small scale regional conflict. And I don't think Obi-Wan is initially – I think he's he's completely caught off guard because uh, you know why would a Jedi be involved in this? And, and Sifo-Dyas is someone that's sort of shrouded in mystery. And as we learn in the Clone Wars show, a lot of – a lot of the information about what he was doing has been completely erased uh, or, or just heavily restricted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there are additional layers to that piece. But, uh, you know, the idea of the, you know, the, the Republic is already uh, building an army and, and very quickly the, the urge and the desire to, to investigate the sources behind the army kind of goes by the wayside as the need for the army magically arises uh you know the, obi-wan's probably still harboring uh concern about it but the jedi from their perspective um have a crisis on their hands and that they don't have the manpower to deal with it uh when when geonosis happens and so what better way than to just jump into battle the piece that interests me is what like beyond the clones themselves is the armaments because it's not like that I don't think the Kaminoans in fact I know they're not weapons manufacturers there's no like quad drive yards uh, that sort of company doesn't exist uh, on uh, on Camino so they've got to have a way to arm these clones and so you've got uh, I think the majority of the equipment that they use like the ground equipment like the ATTEs and stuff that you see um, in the actual battle on Geonosis is from a, a company called Rothana Heavy Engineering, which okay. is a subsidiary of Quad Drive Yards, mm-hmm. famous for the Star Destroyers. Um, they also built those assault ships, the Acclimator-class assault ships. It's fascinating. Like, somebody had to contract for those, right? Somebody had to pay, because the, at, at that point in time, Quad Drive Yards is an independent company. Uh, Rothana is an independent company. Where did all that money – is Count Dooku bankrolling this? I assume Sidious is just doing it behind the scenes, in, yeah. you know, just borrowing massive amounts from the banking clan with no int- no intention to pay it back. Um, or the bill just comes due to the republic and they just don't question it like, oh, well, it's convenient that you produced all of these gunships and capital ships because yeah. suddenly we need them. 
Um, but they ramp that up really, really quickly. I mean, they roll into Geonosis arm to the teeth. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's actually kind of a, a, a funny line of contracts and subcontracts because I, it, it kind of seems – I mean, Camino was still definitely involved in this. So it seems that like Camino was was like, you know, they're they're the prime contractor in this. And then they subbed out to uh, KDY, who then subbed out to whatever uh, the other company you said, the heavy engineering company that that does uh, that that did some of the um, the other armaments. So, you know, you have this whole line and, and yeah, the money had to come from somewhere. It clearly wasn't coming from the Republic because that's an awful lot of money i would imagine that would get spent that someone would have noticed so yeah he probably was borrowing this from from the banking clan so it really wasn't accounted for um and and yeah and then he just you know in the end ultimately took over the banking clan anyway so it didn't matter yeah well think about like go back to the the military budget dod budget uh, pre 9-11 and post 9-11 pre 9-11 I, it, you know we were getting to the point where you know the, the military was shrinking to an, a certain extent mm-hmm. uh, you know there was increased scrutiny on the military budget as uh, you know th- this effort to balance the budget year after year uh, was increasing 9-11 happens and then shortly after that we get into Afghanistan and Iraq mm-hmm. The concern for a ballooning military budget went right out the window. Nobody, nobody seemed to question at all, and oh, you yeah. know, to some extent, rightfully so. Military expenditures. I mean, look no further than the F twenty two and that insane, uh, you know, expenditure for a, a fighter jet that still isn't fully yeah. <laughs> operational as an entire program. How many billions of dollars have been spent on that? Um, but in times of war, that that stuff traditionally doesn't get uh, really question. I mean, nobody in their right mind was sitting there during World War II saying, well, I don't know if President Roosevelt's making the right move, pumping so much money into the military right now. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be really sorry about this deficit on the back end. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and you're right. I mean, we were in, in pretty much, you know, close to two decades prior to 9-11, we had a lot of air bases getting shut down. Uh, and these were significant. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these were significant air bases. I mean, we're talking strategic air command stuff. I mean, this was, you know, B fifty twos that were flying nukes, uh, and so all that was being consolidated. We had base, uh, a base realignment and closure program, the BRAC program. BRAC. Yeah, yeah, uh, which which hit me here, uh, or, well, hit folks around here locally where I am uh, with Griffiths Air Force Base, which. You know, I mean, I grew up in the the landing path of Griffiths Air Base. I used to uh, be able to, you know, as a kid, I'd look up in the air and I could actually count the tires on the C fives uh, as, as they were coming into land at, at, at Griffiths, which is still a fifteen minute drive away. But of course, you know, in in the air, that's nothing. Uh, but you know, those giant things were were that low that I could I could actually count the landing gear. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, hell, Lucasfilm sits on a former uh, yes. piece of military land, the Presidio at uh, yep of in San, San Francisco. Presidio, yep. San Francisco. Yeah. So former. Which is I a mean, fascinating it's, history. Yeah, been shuttered for years and, yep. and was ultimately converted. But uh, a yeah, lot I mean, of the old that, barracks are still there. Yeah, you get that. Uh, you cannot miss that architecture. <laughs> no, you you you, you really can. It's with anything. It's, 
Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, 1950s military architecture. And, and, and actually, the Presidio even uh, goes back before that. But in the 50s, it was built up quite a bit and then, you know, uh, soon later shut down. But it, I mean, they've got a history down out to the 1800s, I think. Um, and yeah, the, you know, big bases like Fort McClellan uh down in in alabama um yep. in which the, is the former home of the mp corps yeah the mp corps uh the chemical corps i believe yes which it's is actually there. the reason why i've been down there because uh dhs took over a good chunk of the facility and they use it for um a lot of uh chemical training for uh public safety and so i've spent some time down there that's a very very interesting facility um, and there's still places that like you can't go or you really, really <laughs> shouldn't go. Um, it's also Alabama. I'm not sure many people should go there. <laughs> if you're from Alabama and you're and you're listening, I, I guess I apologize. I mean, I'm sure you probably are like, dude's totally right. Don't come to Alabama. Uh, <laughs> I think they'll give you a pass for that part of it. Yeah, Alabama. probably. I've been to Fort McClellan once and they it's a forgettable experience. Yeah, Aniston the food wasn't is so good. Bad. I think Aniston's the nearest. Yes, yeah, Aniston's the, 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 the nearest town. The food in Aniston is really, really good. I've definitely appreciated that. That was fantastic. Uh, but okay, so, so the Star Wars thing we've been talking about. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we there there is this big mystery around the 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 Kaminoans. Um, and, and it, clearly they do have some kind of history in armaments or at least small armaments because the saber dart, uh, which is the thing that killed Zam, it comes from there. It originates from there. But, yeah, we don't see any large scale military uh, armament production there. I mean, the, the entire planet, at least what we see of the planet, the planet just is one giant ocean. Um, so there's there's certainly some challenges in that um and they probably don't have the 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 raw materials um available to do some of that stuff unless they're importing it and uh, that that's that's a deep cut we're not going to go there <laughs> um so this is where we do officially meet Django Fett uh who you know of course in in, in first watching this movie uh all the fans kind of freaked out because we were like oh my gosh he looks exactly like Boba Fett and uh, he has the same last name and then, you know, then we meet Boba Fett as a, as a, as a little pup and, oh my gosh, this is, you know, Django is his dad and Boba's a clone. And this was a mind blowing thing to all the fans. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably, you know, trying to stick at least with the, the military aspect of this, the, the whole concept of, of Django and everything around him, uh, which they did as, as an interesting there was an interesting story wrapped around him, which of course didn't get fully developed. But uh, first of all, it was his DNA who who made the clones. They found d- decided that he was the supreme being or something. I, <laughs> the, the ideal man. I, I think wasn't there like a an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that had like you're the ideal man, the ideal specimen of humanity or something. Yeah, you know what? That's a fair assessment for Tamora Morrison. I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm secure enough to say. I'll allow that. That's yeah, fine. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the, the part of his deal was that he wanted uh, one unaltered clone uh, to raise as his own, and that is uh, is is Boba. Um, I guess Django wasn't much of a ladies' man. I 
maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I guess i guess people on at topoka city and i don't know i guess yeah. the kaminoans really aren't as tight a little too tall yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh so yeah so Django got a mini me out of it uh but some interesting thing with with Django, and actually you and i were talking about this before we started recording uh you know is Django mandalorian is he's is he not mandalorian um I, I don't know that that answer definitively exists uh, canonically for us, um, but he is uh, at least clearly wearing the armor of a Mandalorian and, and Mandalorians along with the armor have a, a variety of armaments uh, that are often tied into their armor. So we have that uh, jet pack with the, the rocket launcher in it and we've got flamethrowers uh, and we have uh, uh lasso-y kinds of things and all sorts of different things that are integrated into the suit. So there's, there is a, 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 a an interesting military um, type of aspect there. And, you know, we've even, we see some of that in our modern military where we are trying to give individual soldiers better armaments. We're trying to integrate technology um, into the things that they're wearing and the things that they're doing. Uh, where we're giving them, uh, you know, night vision and 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 actually multi-spectrum uh, type of of uh, vision enhancements into their helmets and a lot of the stuff in their helmets, along with like communications, is usually that has to be tied into a backpack because there has to be batteries and there has to be all sorts of other stuff. And we're seeing things also associated uh, into some very uh, high-tech enabled weaponry. And, and a lot of different things like that. So we are seeing, you know, we, we do have some some uh, real life applications of, of some of this really cool stuff that we see in fiction. Um, I don't know. Is there anything you want to comment on with that, Tom? I did want to clean one thing up because I double checked it in terms of our discussion of Django's background. I don't know that we I don't think we've seen much of any stories from his early years, uh, but he is from Concord Dawn which for folks that were fans of the Clone Wars and Rebels, you've seen it's a moon of Mandalore. It's one of the, the systems in the Mandalore system, rather. And uh, famously, the character from Rebels, Fen Rao, <clears throat> is uh, the, the Mandalorian pilots from there. So I think it, it's fair to call him a Mandalorian uh, since he's from that, uh, that system. I don't know that it... Yeah. So anyhow, at least that part. And, and I expect we'll get some future stories about his, uh, his early years running around and blowing stuff up. Yeah. Uh, he's like the coolest military contractor of all time. Like, you know, just gets to chill and had like, you know, has his sweet Beskar armor, has his little mini me, um, kind of a cool job to just like give your DNA over. And then that, like that's what you're getting paid for because it's not like yeah. he's down on the the training floor like you know leading his own clones through drills and stuff like that i mean they've got all that uh the kaminoans have proprietary programming for that sort of stuff yeah which is fascinating in its own right that these uh these you know how they develop that sort of thing are they sort of calling together you know, eons of, of war fighting information to, to create these programs. Are they bringing folks like Django fed in to, to help advise and assist on those things? Uh, I, I want to know more about like his day-to-day life. Cause I have to believe it's more than just chilling in that apartment 
on Topoca City and then occasionally running off on bounties. Um, so, yeah, I find it interesting that uh, I guess part of his deal was room and board or something. He's got that. I expect I would have demanded a little bit bigger space. I mean, he's got that. Maybe we didn't see it all, but it's kind of a tiny little studio apartment, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, there's just enough room for a bag of armor. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, if those of you that have kids, that's way too small a space to <laughs> constantly. And I can't imagine there are too many places to, to go have fun on Camino, on Topoca City. You go like marvel at your hundreds of thousands of identical copies or something like that. So you're going to be trapped in that uh, in that little apartment for a while. And I, you know. Yeah. And you kind of I mean, I imagine you get tired of seeing yourself. <laughs> If running around and mouthing back at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although I, I suppose the clones like, you know, hold him with some measure of reverence. Oh, I'm sure that like granddaddy or something. Yeah. Dad. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, of course, he also has Slave One, um, which is a, a legendary ship uh, of its own. And we're, we're not going to uh, dive into the history of the um Oh gosh, I can't even remember the the name of uh, the manufactured name of the ship. The Fire Spray Thirty One. Fire Spray. Yes, craft. yes, yeah. It's a, again, it's a sickness <laughs> that I have. <laughs> if I had as much practical knowledge as I do, like random Star Wars facts rattling around my brain, yeah. I'd have like rebuilt my house and you know invented <laughs> a flying car. So we get into uh, after this this little side trip to Camino. Pretty much the rest of the movie is spent um, in in two settings. Uh, one is uh, Geonosis, and then the other is Tatooine. And we do have a, a small little interlude in, over in um, uh, back on Coruscant, where where the Chancellor is given emergency powers. And that, uh, you know, that thanks then Jar-Jar. ends up, yeah, thanks, Jar Jar. Thanks for, you know, screwing everybody for all time. Um, I still think Jar Jar was in on it. I prescribed to the Darth <laughs> Jar Jar conspiracy, but uh, that's just me. Um, we do over on Geonosis uh, where we have um, Obi-Wan going to as he's trying to track down Django. Uh, we see a droid factory. So we, we, see the actual creation of, of the opposing army here uh, in, in mass. And um, Anakin is also taking a trip uh, back to Tatooine, looking for his mother, uh, finds her in the uh, rather brutal hands of the uh, sand people, the Tusken Raiders. And uh, Anakin then commits some high crimes by killing every single one of them. He can find um, in his words, uh, not just the men, but the women and the children, their animals, all of them. And I slaughtered them. So there you go. <laughs> not really in a gray area. We'll just call that what it is. A, oh yeah. A <laughs> murder. It's not even a war crime. Cause he's not committing it in any kind of war. It's not he's during just going war. And killing yeah. a bunch of civilians. Uh, you know, the thing about a war crime is that, the the reason it's a crime is because you have a baseline of combatant immunity, which is mm-hmm. the, the ability of a, a soldier to do his or her job 
in, including killing others, and not be prosecuted uh, civ- by a civilian court or other other court for those acts, acts that are within the bounds. There's no war here. Declare. I mean, even if you you say the Clone Wars technically started right now, which it hasn't. Uh, Tatooine's not involved in it, and, you yeah. know, and these sand troopers aren't, or excuse me, the, the sand people aren't involved in it. Yeah, they're, um, they're non-combatants in, in the war. I mean, yes, they seem to be a uh, rather constant nuisance uh, and certainly operating outside the bounds of whatever laughable law exists on Tatooine. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that there's a lot of justification for, you know, killing a couple dozen of them. Uh, many of which were non-combatants of their own. So Even I don't know if that works. And the children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't make that report back to the council. No, that no. Kind of get tucked away. <laughs> no, no. That's that's just a secret between him him and Padme. That's all. Uh, so going to take a, a little bit of a, of a of a break here just to kind of uh, bust things up and, and, and try a new format. Uh, inviting folks to send us some feedback. Uh, you can email it to us at dispatches randomchatter.com. You can find us on social media uh, at random chatter. You can find me at Qui-Gon Tim. That is Tim with two M's over on Twitter. And Tom, where can they find you on the tweets? On Twitter, you can find my exceptionally creative handle at Thomas L Harper. That's L is in Lee. That yes, that is true. Beautiful. Uh, of course, you can find all of our shows over at randomchatter.com, and we definitely appreciate you spreading the word and supporting us, uh, leaving us reviews on iTunes and other, and other places, uh, telling your friends, family, coworkers, even total strangers, um, of course, maintaining a prop, uh, appropriate social distancing uh, efforts uh, if you happen to be having conversations about uh, military history and, and such uh, and, and war films and, and all that kind of thing that, that we like to do here. Uh, we definitely appreciate any contributions by way of Patreon. Go to randomchatter.com slash Patreon. That actually makes you a member of the Random Chatter Network. We are an official, uh, federally approved nonprofit entity. And uh, by contributing to us, you uh, you become a member. And membership gets some different perks. Uh, those are all listed over at Patreon. And uh, you can also join our conversation over in Discord, which is basically a big online chat group. Go to randomchatter.com slash Discord. Anyone can get in there for free and you get access to a good number of free channels. Uh, But any contribution through Patreon gets you full access to our Discord community, which is rather extensive. So that's our interlude. Is Is there anything else you want to add to that, Tom? No. I think uh, I'm I'm fired up right now. Go watch Attack of the Clones again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so back to it. So we're we're basically now in the third act of the film. Uh, Anakin and Padme have gone to Geonosis to try to rescue uh, Obi Wan, and in the words of Obi Wan, "Good job." Uh, because that rescue did not go so well, they were promptly captured and uh, strung up in an arena to be uh, like very like Roman gladiatorial kind of uh, vibe to it where there's going to be this big uh, grand spectacle and they are going to be executed by way of, of uh, um, various exotic beasts that were uh, released into there. And of course that didn't go well for the beasts. Um, 
because uh, you know, two of them were were pretty uh, were, were were kind of killed um, before even the Grand Army of the Republic showed up, and then one final beast ended up dying at the hands of Django, um, and then uh, well, Django had a little problem after that. Uh, the interesting thing is is that once uh, once the Geonosians kind of got tired of the whole thing and and they deployed battle droids into this this was, was the first time that we saw the b2 battle droids and uh, okay one of the things that that you know yes yeah, star wars is is for kids and so i i'm i'm cool with that and i'm cool with some of the some of the goofy stuff that we see in it um and we do see some of the goofy stuff that comes from the droids. Uh, I'm not even going to talk about the whole 3PO droid thing in this. That's just, <laughs> that's too much. Uh, I did appreciate like the, the brutality of the B2s though, that like, you know, big B2s, these are the big bulky uh, silver droids with, with uh, blasters mounted in, into their wrists. And they're just like going for the target. They don't care who's in front of them. There's some, you know, little puny B1 in front of one of them that just gets slapped aside because he's in the way of, of you know, the, the, the B2 going after somebody um, is, you know, super battle droids. It, they're like, I really appreciate them. I like the, the, the whole concept of them quite a bit. I love that scene as the, uh, the fighting is, chaotic there's a b2 that just smashes a b1 right out of his way yeah just perfect yeah oh it's 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 great it's great uh so then we we have the uh the entrance of the grand army of the republic who comes in here and, and they uh they they save our heroes uh a bunch of other you know we have a bunch of, of jedi show up uh actually just prior to that who are led by uh by mace windu and we see a lot of Jedi get killed. A lot of Jedi get killed in this. Uh, there really just ends up being not much more than, I don't know, I'd say a dozen uh, Jedi that that survive this or at least are in that central circle of the arena uh, who are then surrounded by by battle droids. And they're kind of at a, at a standoff here. Uh, Dooku offers some measure of amnesty if... Uh, Master Windu is is willing to commit the Jedi to uh, to to the the cause of of Dooku and Sidious, um, which of course uh, you know I, I I think if we this could have truly been opened up to like a real Sam Jackson movie I think I know what the response of Mace Windu would have been <laughs> in this instance but uh, yeah so we 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 have that and then basically just as the order is is about to be given for the droid army to slaughter the rest of the jedi uh along with padme yoda comes flying in with the grand army of the republic um we see a a bunch of uh republic gunships coming in and we have uh uh clone clone troopers that are you know repelling down off of them and landing and such and and in yoda's words uh around the survivors a perimeter create and that ended up being very effective and then we very quickly see the battle uh the the, the grandeur of the battle which was not just in the arena but but spread out around the planet uh we see some really cool um military equipment of the genotians um and and i guess collectively of the separatist army 
uh, you know, we see the these you know spider walkery things, and we see these uh, tanks which are like just haphazardly throwing rockets all over the place. That seems a little dangerous. Um, we see some very odd looking uh, ships, which are just basically giant spheres, which are going to fly into the air. Um, nothing aerodynamic at all about them. Although I guess when they're in space, they don't need to be. Uh, we, we, we see a, a heck of a battle here. And, and again, as I mentioned, every single clone in this is CG and clearly the Genosians are also CG. And so while if you take a step back from this, uh, this battle is really cool. I, I love this battle. I love the environment it was in. I love the armaments and all that kind of stuff. But when you take a closer look at it, uh, from a visual perspective, it does tend to break down pretty quickly. Uh, but it's it's still nonetheless pretty fun. I, what's 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 your take on the uh, this first conflict that we've seen between the the clones and the Federation? I remember reading, you know, you like EU and stuff. You'd you'd read about these like epic battles amongst just you know dozens of Jedi and and you know sort of the time before the original trilogy where there were just thousands of Jedi walking around this at that point in, in history was as close on screen as we ever got to seeing something like that. So Mace Windu brings in, I think it's 212 Jedi uh, in total is the strike force that he arrives with, um, which is kind of crazy. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what kind of coordination they had. They, they clearly didn't have an extensive, uh, plan to go about this because they sort of um they appear on all levels of this arena i don't know that they had adequate intel about the enemy that they'd be facing and very quickly they're forced to ground on the uh on the arena floor and i i have to believe they knew that the the republic was coming with uh with the clone army you know Clearly, Yoda was in control of those forces, uh, but they didn't time it quite right. I mean, if this was going to be a joint operation, they let off a little bit early because they get whittled down to about 13 to 15 Jedi that we see left in the arena circled around. Uh, so either Yoda's a little slow or they just kind of mistimed that <laughs> or the battle droids are just brutally efficient. But there is nothing like that scene where they all look up and the gunships are coming down out of the sun and they just start to lay waste. I just love the, 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 uh, the lat, the low altitude, uh, assault transport Yep, is one of my absolute favorite star Wars vehicles. And just the, the shots of them, like kind of raking across, uh, rows and rows of battle droids with those turrets on the side, the ball turrets, is just one of my favorite scenes ever. Uh, and then as they lift out of the arena, it's just an amazing sight. Uh, what's amazing to me is that the Jedi so quickly shed this uh, this vestige of like, oh, well, we're not warriors. That that goes away in an instant. Oh, it totally does. You see does. Mace Windu take control of a, a special ops clone battalion and run off into battle mm -hmm. uh you've got yoda heading to the front lines i mean it's like in in the blink of an eye one of the the pillars of the jedi order just comes crashing down out of knee and there's no debate about it there's no i mean you know to the extent that there was one behind the scenes we don't see it but 
Palpatine forces their their hand, and and I think in the grand scheme of things, the the idea is not to to whittle them down in battle. It's to to destroy all that they stand for, and this is the first big step in that uh, to to get them wrapped up in this uh, in this integral way in the war. Um, one of my you mentioned the. Uh, the droid vehicle that fires a lot of missiles, the the Hailfire yes. droid that's got these two kind of offset wheels that are angled outward. I have a little toy. It's like one of my favorite toys. It's a remote control one of those. And so you can drive it around and then it has dual triggers and it will fire little plastic missiles out of, uh, out of two little <laughs> batteries on either side. <laughs> so I've chased Evelyn around with it, my daughter, like just you know, drive it around and <laughs> until she picks it up and throws it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it's an incredible scene and it's, it's, um, it's one of those where you wish you could just pause the camera, like angle the camera away and, uh, you know, keep watching certain points. Cause like the, another scene that stands out in my mind is as the droid transport ships, those big spheres are launching into the air. Uh, Yoda, and one of the clone commanders directs uh, a bunch of artillery batteries to fire on it and they sort of gash it and bring it down. And then you see this massive, it hits the ground and this massive tsunami of dust comes rolling over the entire battle. It's just really, really incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. There's, 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 there's some, some really good uh, overall visuals that, that do come out of this. Uh, we also see in the midst of this conflict where, where essentially the, um, the, the Federation forces are, are, are getting routed. And um, so the, the Geonosians and, and the other leadership of, of the, the Separatist Federation are evacuating. Um, and along with that, they are evacuating with a, a particular set of schematics, which we do get a brief look at. And that is uh, clearly for the Death Star. Um and of course, we we do come to know that in uh, between the Clone Wars and Rebels and comics and uh, novels, that uh, the Geonosians are really one of the um, primary uh, peoples who are involved in the design and construction of of the Death Star. So a lot of this stuff centers on them. We have uh, kind of a, an interesting thing, which I have dubbed the Contest of Champions in our show notes where we have uh, Count Dooku versus Obi-Wan and Anakin together. Uh, and then later Yoda has to come in and rescue Obi-Wan and Anakin because they thoroughly got their asses handed to them uh, by Dooku. And in the end, Dooku, Dooku really wins. Um, of course he, he, he runs away uh, and, and basically gives Yoda the choice of uh, saving Obi-Wan and Anakin or stopping him. And so, you know, Yoda, of, of course, decides to save Obi-Wan and Anakin. And it's an interesting um, it's an interesting early look at the battle contests uh, duel, if you will, that we see in episode three between Obi-Wan, Anakin and Dooku. Uh Whereas actually pretty much Obi-Wan's fate is practically the same. Um, and Anakin 
does a lot of the same stuff, but he's kind of a little more skilled and, and powerful and bonkers. Um, well, his power doubled by that point. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, <laughs> apparently. So, so he says. So he says. So that, that that's really, I mean, that's kind of the the big thing that we end up with. Um, aside from that that ending scene where, uh, like we said earlier, we have this this great shot of, um the the clones uh you know in in parade and all loading up onto these republic battle cruisers and it's that that's a pretty cool shot so um is there any before we get into some of our our uh little niche items here is there anything else you want to cover about the the movie itself one one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is as that showdown between obi-wan anakin and dooku starts obi-wan is like we'll we'll take him together like you know, let's let's hang on for a second. And then Anakin's like, no, I want to take him now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he just charges into the battle and immediately gets thrown against the wall. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. That, that and then one of my all time <clears throat> favorite Star Wars memories is sitting in the theater for the midnight showing of Attack of the Clones. And when Oba, uh, when Yoda unclips his lightsaber from his belt and you realize he's about oh, to yeah. throw down. The entire theater just erupted. It was amazing. Yeah, and the entire battle. The everybody thing. was ooing and eyeing. Oh yeah, because you have Yoda doing flips in the air and everything. Yeah. And you know, th- this is this like, you know, <laughs> yeah, this old, seemingly decrepit uh, creature who always has to walk with a cane and that kind of stuff. And we just see like you know, he opens himself up to the force, and now he just becomes this total badass. And it's 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 pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. It's yeah. yeah. That's that's a lot of fun. So we do have uh, a couple of things, I guess, for our, our funniest or not so funniest moments. Uh, we, we do have this little time where, where they're they're on the uh, the 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 lat uh, gunship. Uh, we have Anakin and Obi-Wan who are there together and, and Padme also with a bunch of clones and the ship that they're on takes a hit. Uh, of course, the ship's cruising at, I don't know, you know, 30 feet or so above above the ground. And uh, it jars the ship enough that that Padme ends up getting knocked out. And Anakin's like, I'm going to go rescue her. And Obi-Wan's response to it is, you'll be expelled from the order. I Really, that's grounds for being expelled? I mean, like, that seems seriously drastic. Seriously drastic. He's uh, pulling out his uh, his Jedi Master hat there, like auditioning for his role on the council. Yeah, I I think he's. It's a reflection of how concerned he is that Anakin is completely distracted by Padme. That much is clear yeah. from the moment. I the, one of the other funniest moments is just their their interaction on that uh, the turbo lift at the beginning, the elevator when they're heading oh, to meet her. Yeah, and yeah. he's like. You're sweating, like just calm down. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I, I think he's seen here that that Anakin is completely uh, absorbed with her, mm-hmm. and the only way that he can snap his attention back is is threaten the one thing that's, <clears throat> you know, the one other thing that's important to him, which is the Jedi Order at this point. So true, uh, true. And it kind of refocuses him. I, I mean, I so I gotta say, yeah, sure. Uh, you know, disobeying a direct order. Um, I, I mean, certainly 
you would know because this is your realm of expertise. I don't think disobeying a direct order is necessarily going to get you like, you know, a, a, a full dishonorable discharge. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe it depends on the extent, but it's definitely going to get you busted. It could, yeah, it could get you, it could certainly get you thrown out because at the moment, Obi-Wan is thinking that they've got a chance to, to end this war before it really even starts by capturing True. Dooku. Yeah. And he knows he can't do it alone. Yeah. Uh, or at least that's what he thinks. And, uh, you know, it, so, yeah, I, you know, really the only Jedi that we see on screen get thrown out of the order uh, is Ahsoka f- for a bombing and for murder of, of fellow Jedi and clones. So it's it's probably got to be something extreme to have that happen. Yeah, especially for the chosen one. But I think it's it's a jerk the chain moment where he's like, like, wake up. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you could be right. There's it was... more serious stuff at play here. Right. Yep. What, what else we got? I just love Nuke Gunray. I, <laughs> people hate on him all the time, but he's sitting there. He's so like pleased with himself that this is all, you know, he's the the. Uh, he's finally cornered Padme and uh, his his nemesis from the Phantom Menace, and Obi Wan, that meddling young kid that messed with his plans, and he's about to see them get killed. And and uh, you know, obviously they they make their escape, and he's sitting there like trying to find a way around the rules of the yeah. <laughs> Genosian game to get them executed. Um. Oh yeah, because he's he's up in the box, and of course, when everything is going his way, he's like, "Yes, yes, yeah. he's so excited." And then all of a sudden, when they start fighting back, he's like, "Wait, they can't do that." To get our starship <laughs> back into space, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So he's, I people hate on. I love Newt Gunray, uh, yeah. And then my other favorite aspect of this whole movie is just Anakin and Obi Wan's relationship. I think that you could criticize whatever you want to about this movie, but I think they play it pitch perfect between they the do. two of them, uh, between the writing. And I, I think you and McGregor uh, deserves a lot of the credit for this, but it's from the moment they're, they're seen together on that elevator ride, which is hilarious where he's just kind of laughing at him and mm-hmm. <laughs> at this whole situation. Uh, and it's made better by the fact that, you, you know, from the clone wars, we see that Obi-Wan struggled with his own, love relationship with Satine so yeah. you know that that just makes that scene that much better um and, and, and then, we see this is the first look that we see um obviously of, of Anakin being um you know more of an adult and and so the interactions between the two and it even culminates into one of the the final statements that Obi-Wan makes to Anakin at the end of episode 3 which is we were brothers And it's so much of their relationship is not a master Padawan relationship. It's really more of a, an older, younger brother type of thing. And, and that gets emphasized quite a bit through, um, through the Clone Wars series as as well, because I mean, if Obi-Wan's threatening expulsion to Anakin for defying that order, how many times would he have been expelled uh, throughout basically <laughs> the entire Clone Wars series and episode three prior to him, you know, turning into Vader because yeah. he constantly disobeyed orders from, from oh, Obi-Wan yeah. all the time. When I think it's a ref- the the relationship here, you hit the nail on the head because 
if you remember back to the end of Phantom Menace, Yoda did not want to allow Obi-Wan to take him on as an apprentice. Yeah. Uh, it, there was strong resistance to that. And partially because Obi-Wan himself was young. I mean, he had just made master at that point. And mm-hmm. traditionally, I think they would have waited a little while before he would have taken on that responsibility. And actually, it's a heavy he burden even, that I think he, he didn't even make master then. He was barely a knight. That's right. Sorry, Knight. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, you're absolutely right. He doesn't make Master until later. Um, and yeah, so I, that that just further underscores it, that this is a huge burden that's that, that I think he struggles with. And yeah. I, in a military context, I, I go back to like lessons in peer leadership, which is, you know, you, you all too often, uh, anybody that's listening and has served knows the struggle that is being put in charge of folks that are, you know, relatively close in age to you, but, mm-hmm. uh, are as skilled or more skilled than you are at, at certain mm-hmm. things in, in certain areas. Um, and y- you know, trying to strike the right balance. I mean, it, you know, I think back to, um, you know, my own experience and it's, it can be, really challenging at times to, to sort of take up that mantle of leadership and, and set the right example and whatnot with folks that, that aren't that really that dissimilar to you. Cause this isn't like Yoda, uh, like Yoda doesn't have that trouble with, uh, somebody like Anakin because there's this massive gap in age and experience. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a Sergeant major doesn't have any problem mentoring a Sergeant or a, a private, uh, but a young Sergeant, uh, you know, who, who, you know, was once or very recently just in the shoes of a junior enlisted soldier. Yeah. Uh, you Three know, months it could be a struggle. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in some cases like yesterday and then they <clears throat> yeah. pin on their stripes and, uh, it, you know, it's a complete learning experience. And one of the, I would say the toughest leadership experiences, uh, and, and one that sort of fuels their relationship, but it's great cause it's, uh, you know, Obi-Wan has his own flaws. It's, I like that he struggles with this yeah. and, and wrestles with it. And if you wonder, anybody that, that, you know, looks at The Last Jedi and they're like, why would Luke just run off and not, not help people? I mean, you know, Sam Witwer was on record calling out Ryan Johnson for not understanding or not doing his homework on Star Wars. I'm like, you haven't been in the military. Like, if you fail, like, you know, that 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 level uh, that mantra that he took up uh and i don't want to get into a last jedi discussion too much but just briefly like that level of responsibility taking that on as a young leader and someone without yeah. backup and and assistance from folks like yoda or, or sort of the elder jedi and then failing massively at it mm-hmm. that really hits hard i mean you know look at any soldier that's that's uh stumbled and, and failed with it i mean I, you know it's it's a huge um it's a huge responsibility to take on. Uh, yeah. So, uh, in any event, I yeah, the, I, the, I think it's, it's played right. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right. the 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 peer leadership thing is a heck of a conundrum because you you want to you want to strike this balance of of camaraderie, uh, but also you have to draw a line at some point, and you can't have. You can't have either one completely because that doesn't work effectively. If if you're just going to be a hard ass, then people are simply going to 
think that you're, you know, basically just pulling rank and you're being a jerk. Uh, if you have a little too much camaraderie and you're out drinking all the time with everyone and treating them as a buddy, you're then similarly going to have a hard time leading them because you are one of them. You're putting yourself in the same position as one of them and and you're not. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a tough balance and it's, you know, I, I think in real good organizations where we, we see this conundrum of, of leadership where, you know, you have a, a good leader who will say, you know, Hey, okay, we're going to have an office party and that leader will show up and say a few words and have a drink and shake hands. And then they leave. They're, yeah. they're personable. They're making that connection. They're, you know, they're celebrating successes. They're doing that kind of thing. And then they're out because they really can't be hanging out socially to that extent with the people who they need to be leading. And that can be tough as a leader because it becomes a lonely perch yes. to sit on. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So we also have some Star Wars, uh, Star Wars military trivia. So what are you throwing at us this time, Tom? I, I have a couple points here. One is you have to pause the screen almost to see this, but in the middle of the din of battle in the Battle of Geonosis, there's a little-known separatist ship that's that's in the background. It is canon, but it's known as the Diamond-class cruiser, and it looks if if you pull it up on uh, Wikipedia, you're you're like that's not a Star Wars ship, um, but Lo and behold, it is in the background in the battle. It's sort of this uh, like half sphere shaped. It almost looks like extraterrestrial. Like if if you had a, a flying oh, saucer that got yeah. cut in half a little bit. Um, kind of bizarre, but it's a big a big ship. You see it sort of in the background, almost like in a haze uh, in the actual movie. Um, but that's the diamond class cruiser. I'd be remiss if I didn't put a little fleet trivia in there. And then yeah. I, I uh, couldn't owned by the commerce guild. That's right. So this must've been them evacuating from the planet in this. That's battle, right. Oh, they're evacuating in style. They're not going to go out in some like <laughs> janky ass giant sphere. <laughs> uh, the other one, I mentioned the, the, uh, gunship the lat is my like my favorite vehicle what you may not realize is that you saw at least two different variants of the lat in this movie and there are more that exist canonically but the lat i or the lat slash i is the uh the infantry variant of it think of that like the black hawk Mm -hmm. uh it's a troop carrier that's what yoda arrives in uh the two ball turrets on the side you also have the Lat C, the Lat Carrier, which to this day is the one Lego set that I kick myself for not buying back <laughs> in 2007 or 8. Um, you see it briefly. It, it sets down some of the armored vehicles um, mm, yeah. during the Battle of Geonosis, but it's got that. It's almost like a Chinook uh, yeah. or, or a uh, not even a Chinook, but like a I'm trying to think. Of uh, there's a Chinook type variant, a twin bladed helicopter that existed like uh, around the Vietnam era uh, that that had this look. But basically, it's the the area where the troop uh, troops would sit in a normal gunship is gone. Mm-hmm. It's just this spine, and they uh, they carry in uh, armored vehicles on it. In fact, yep. if you watch the Clone Wars, this last arc, you saw those in the Siege of Mandalore. They're carrying in the the 
Republic walkers, the ATTEs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a Lego set of that that came with an ATTE. Did they really? Massive, oh yeah, it's beautiful set. And I just oh I didn't I see that. Pulled the trigger. Oh. I don't even want to see how expensive that thing is now. Um, and then <laughs> the last variant that you've probably seen a lot of if you've watched Rebels is the Lat LE, the law enforcement variant, which mm-hmm. is the little gunship that uh, the Empire uses. So, Very little cool. little gunship trivia there. Oh, I just I just pulled up the let's see. Yeah, that's that's cool. Is it? Oh, that's very cool. Did you pull it up on eBay? No, no, I just did a did a quick Google search on it just because I wanted to see the want to see the picture of it. That's uh, I'll 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 tease you with screenshots of the prices later. <laughs> uh, yeah, those they're 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 cool ships, and um, you know, also they they can be fundamentally sealed up. Um, at least the, the infantry versions can, so they are space worthy. Um, you know, they're not hyperspace capable, but they can carry, uh, troops and material from, uh, the Republic cruisers in, 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 in orbit over a planet down to the planet's surface. Uh, so that's kind of a, a, an interesting thing that, that they can do. Um, where they are, they are space worthy. They are vacuum worthy, if you will. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily separate, an entirely separate variant of them, or no. Uh, I think that's just a feature that they have where yeah. they can uh, seal seal out the atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So for our next episode, um, you had mentioned Tom. We were texting uh, yesterday. You had mentioned that. Uh, this year is the 75th anniversary of VE Day. It is. Uh, Victory in Europe Day. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's, that's a big deal. That's a, a terrific anniversary. And uh, so to uh, help commemorate that in our own fashion, uh, we are going to be reviewing uh, one of my absolute favorite war movies, uh, Patton. I love this movie. I've watched <laughs> this movie almost as many times as a star Wars movie. I love Patton. Um, I've also read like his autobiography and a ton of biographies on him through the years. And uh, I know he was an absolute jerk and a hard ass, uh, but there's a lot of really great qualities from the guy and a lot of phenomenal things that he gave the military um, and, and leadership as a whole. So uh, really, really cool stuff. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to reviewing that. Do you want to know how much this set is? How much? I I only found a few, but the cheapest I found was $1100. Oof. In box? <laughs> In is box. That, yeah, wow. 8 850 if you want to buy it loose. And loose is a gamble. It is. Loose is a gamble. You don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> Tom. Is it my time? Your time has come, my friend. Oh, man. The time that everybody looks forward to. The wonderful right. legal disclaimer. <laughs> everybody just fast-forwarded through the Star Wars stuff just to get to this, I'm sure. Dispatches from the front is not endorsed by anyone affiliated with the films we discuss and is intended for entertainment purposes only. All names associated with and references to the films we discuss are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and copyright holders. Random Chatter Media and Dispatches from the Front are not affiliated with those trademark or copyright holders. All original content of Dispatches from the Front is the intellectual property of Random Chatter Media unless otherwise indicated. 
Fantastic. There it is, folks. Well, if you're still with us, uh, if you didn't fall asleep through that, we appreciate you uh, coming and hanging out with us for another episode. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you will enjoy uh, our uh, or join us for our next episode in a few weeks, which will be Pat. Thanks again. Thanks.